Yeah. So what we're doing today, we're going to continue on our series on the book of Mark that we've been working through. And uh, what I love about the book of Mark in the Bible is it gives us a picture of the life of Jesus and what it means to follow him and how to do that. And so we're going to find ourselves on page 849 in the Pew Bible in front of you, 849. And if you have your own Bible, uh, join me in the book of Mark, chapter 12. Book of Mark, chapter 12. You know, people could say that they love the idea of bungee jumping and that they would trust the cord but you know when someone's honest when they actually get up on the scale to jump, right? People could say, hey, I'm okay with airplanes. I could trust that thing to take me from point A to point B. But until I get in the plane, you're like, but do you really trust it? And, you know, trusting things like these um, are put to the test when we actually try to use them. And what, what I want to draw to our attention is that God is a God who wants us to fully trust him. And there are times we say we trust him. There are times that we say we believe him. But it's often through adversity that that trust is really put to the test. And you know, a lot of times, those kind of things of trusting God are put to the test when we stand in front of other people and are battling in our hearts whether or not they like us or that they're okay with us. I know for many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, there are things in our hearts that are really drawn toward this, this difficult tendency to be a people pleaser. And what God wants us to do is to trust him and not be consumed with trying to please people. And, you know, I know for me personally, this is something that frequently comes back to my mind, uh, something that I wrestle with in my heart. And what's so difficult about being a people pleaser or being someone that wants to impress others, is that it is an unending battle. You will never fully say, I have successfully, fully, ultimately impressed everybody. It's just not the way it works out. But what happens is, when we are caught up with the opinions of other people, we, we enter into this cycle that often causes us to spiral into fear into panic mode, where we try to just please other people at all costs. And what I want us to see here today, adding my two cents, is that God is a God who wants you to trust him and not be consumed with what other people think. Now, now there's a negative side to that where people are like, I don't care what you think, and they start being mean and out of control and whatnot. We're not talking about I don't care about you kind of thing. But, but a, a kind of thing that says, God, ultimately, your opinion matters most. So if you find yourself today stuck in a cycle of trying to be somebody you're not, of pretending, of impressing, of worrying, I hope you find some comfort today. Because Jesus gives us a picture of what he wants us to do and how he wants us to trust him. There's a verse in the Bible in Psalm 51 that says, God, you will not, not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. You see, while people might look at our outward appearance, God's the one who knows your heart. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Could you say that? Could you say that at the end of the day, if I got God, I've got all I need. He matters most. Or as Paul says in Galatians, when he's confronting people about some hard things, and he realizes, if I say this, they may not like me, but they need to hear this because I love them. He says, he says as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul says, and what the psalmist says, and what Jesus says, is that God's opinion about you matters most. And his acceptance of you is not based on how good you could be, but based on what Jesus has done for you. And if you're a child of God, hold on to that and bank on it. Today we're going to be seeing a passage where there's a group of people who did everything they could to be impressive to others. And Jesus says, like Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. (laughs) Where he sees someone else who the world has outcast and says, that's a nobody. He says, now that's, that's something that you need to follow right here. And so no matter where you're at today, search your heart. Are you trying to impress others, impress God? And is Jesus saying, that's not what impresses me. But this is what matters most. In order to really see that, we've got to understand that we could trust Jesus, that what he says does matter most. You know, it's one thing to say, I want to impress God, but really, do you love God? Do you trust him to know that what he says matters most? And so when we find ourselves here in the book of Mark, chapter 12, it's at the conclusion of a section we've been working on for the past four Sundays, where Jesus entered into the temple, the place of worship. And at different times, people come to him saying, hey, Jesus, what about this? And they ask him question after question, trying to trap him. Jesus, how can you speak with that kind of authority? Jesus, should we pay taxes to the king or give it to God? Jesus, what do you say about the afterlife? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And time and time again, they try to put him in a corner, but Jesus isn't phased by it. His answers are brilliant. And we see in the book of Mark chapter 12, and the end of verse 34 says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He had silenced his accusers. But then Jesus says, I got a question for you. It's not done now because you're done with your skepticism and you're coming at me. But Jesus says, I'm going to turn a question on you. And this is where we see we can trust Jesus. Because there in verse 35, I'm going to read verses 35 to 37. Jesus says this. He said in the temple, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Verse 37. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Now there's a lot of context I need to unpack here because you're like, that made no sense to me. Like, what's going on? So let's get a big picture here. Jesus, as I've talked about many times, is the great fulfillment of God's promises to come and send a deliverer to save his people from sin. 
But God's people throughout the Old Testament misunderstood those promises and strictly saw this Savior as a king who would come and be a military leader and win over the day. And in the Old Testament, in Psalm 110, I'm going to trip over this cord here. Can I unplug this? Great, I got my mobility back. Um, Jesus, in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, and throughout, there's a promise that this king would come as a descendant of David the king. And so they kept longing for David's descendant to come to be the great ruler. And in the book of Psalms, chapter 110, verse 1, Jesus quoted here. It says that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And now you, well, what's important here, and let's look at, look at our Bibles there in verse 36. See where it says, the Lord said to my Lord. See, the New Testament was written in Greek. And they're quoting a passage that was written in Hebrew. So some things are missing here for us from a visual standpoint. The word Lord, the first time the word Lord is mentioned there, if we would turn to Psalm 110, we don't have time for that. But if we did, you would see it, it's in all capitals in the book of Psalms because it's in Hebrew, and here it's in, uh, it's in uh, Greek, and it's all lowercase. And this is why it's important. All capitals speaks to, the, to Yahweh, the great God of Israel. And what is going on here is David says, the Lord Yahweh, the great God, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And what Jesus is pointing out is that King David says that his descendant, who's going to come one day, is actually David's Lord, his master. And Jesus says, how can he be David's son, but also David's master? There's a question here. Jesus is saying, yeah, the descendant of David will be king, but David calls him master. Why would he do that for? And for people, this, this threw them upside down because they thought that David was the greatest king ever. And yet David says, no, the one who's coming is going to be my Lord, my master. And in fact, he will come from the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh in heaven. What Jesus is saying here is, yes, this great deliverer will be the son of David, a descendant of David, but he will also be the son of God. See, Jesus basically is saying, hey, look at here, guys. Yeah, David is part of my bloodline from an earthly standpoint, but God is my bloodline from a heavenly one. Jesus is saying, I am God here in human flesh. Therefore, you can trust me, and all my enemies will be beneath my feet. And who are his enemies other than sin, death, and Satan? Jesus here is saying, I'm going to conquer all of it. That's why his opinion matters most. He is God himself on earth. And so when they said, Jesus, by what authority? Jesus like, by the authority of God I speak. When they say, Jesus, should we pay taxes to the king? Jesus like, I am the king. Jesus, what about the afterlife? Jesus, I conquered death so you can have eternal life. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? It's to love God. I am God, therefore love me. So Jesus says, it's me you're looking for here. And the people are listening and says in verse 37, they listen gladly. They're like, this is some amazing stuff he's bringing here. And what Jesus has done here is set the stage for why we can trust him. Why we can trust him and why he matters most. But on the flip side, there are people that Jesus sees in his own day who care very little about his opinion. And that's the group that he calls out there in verse 38. It is a, sc- a group called the scribes. I'm going to read 
verses 38 and following there, it says this. In his teaching, in Jesus' teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and they like greetings in the marketplaces, and they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. They devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Pause there, man. Jesus brings down the gauntlet on this group of people. See, Jesus saying, my opinion matters most, yet you guys are coming at me, putting me to the test when I'm the one you need to be seeking after. He says there's this group called the scribes, the religious leaders of his day, and they had life backwards. They were living for the pleasure of people. They wanted to impress others so they could feel good about themselves. Now, there's something fascinating here is that this group that are called scribes, and what a scribe was, was a person who was responsible for teaching the laws of God in the Old Testament and raising up pupils to follow their example. But what's so damning here is that this group of leaders who ought to know God's word and live it out, let their knowledge remain in their head and then not let it enter their hearts. There is a great danger when we know a lot but don't live what we know. See, their knowledge exceeded their maturity. And that's dangerous. And we saw it by who they were living for. They could quote the scripture, but Jesus says they're living for the praises of people. See, theological precision can never outweigh theological living. Hear that? Because when we're precise with what we believe, it needs to transform then how we live. Otherwise, we're just really smart people who don't love God. And this is where they were at. Brilliant. Knew it by word. Even raised up others to follow them. But they were misunderstood. Their knowledge in their head did not cause them to acknowledge their heart. And so Jesus sees these people, and he says they will receive a greater condemnation. Their learning exceeded their character, and they longed to impress people. Look what he says, though, how they sought to do it. Verse 39, he says, beware of the scribes. Beware is to say, hey, danger is coming if you follow their example. We've seen uh, beware of dog signs. I am terrified of dogs. No matter the size of them. So when I say beware of dog sign, I am being aware. And Jesus says, beware of the scribes, because if you trespass, if you follow them, you will be in danger for your physical and spiritual lives. Why? Well, they like to walk around in long robes. You're like, man, what's Jesus got about fashion? What's his problem with this? It's like someone walking around with their graduation gown going to Jewel to get their groceries. (laughs) No one does that. But if someone did do that, it's because they want you to know, hey, I graduated. Now, after you graduate from school, that's very tempting because you're like, hey, this took a long time, right? (laughs) But it's like no one does that unless you're trying to impress people around you. And so they dressed the part, and then they walked around in the marketplace. They're buying fruit and apples, wearing these great gowns and robes. And Jesus is like, what are they doing? Well, what they're doing is drawing attention to themselves. And people say, oh, that's the scribe. Man, he knows a lot. See, all his pupils following him, he's the real deal. 
And Jesus says, they walk around with long robes in the marketplace. They want the best seats in the synagogue. In the place of worship, there were seats in the very front stage area where you would sit down and face the congregation. And the people who had those seats were the most important. And so they said, we like being on the stage so that when we're there, everyone sees that we are the most important. They like the best places of honor at feasts. They want to be the head of the table. Because for them, when people acknowledge that they are somebodies, they felt good about themselves. They bragged about themselves. When Jesus says, in reality, what they're doing in verse 40 is devouring the houses of widows. And what Jesus means is this. In a society like the first century Israel, a a woman who was widowed was the most vulnerable. She was no longer under the protection of her husband And in that society, not viewed as someone who was marriageable material. So now she had to find a way to care for herself, but she was no longer under her father's house because she's been released from that. She's no longer in her husband's house. And Jesus says, they take advantage of such kinds of women. Now we're going to see this story come full circle with some beautiful hope in a moment. But notice this. These people were so concerned about their own reputation that they're willing to threaten and take advantage of the most uh, vulnerable in their society. We've seen that happen in our own days where people prey on those who are vulnerable, whether it be a televangelist seeking people's money, preaching a false gospel, or whether it be someone who's trying to rip us off door to door. Whatever it is, there are people who seek to take advantage of the poor. And here Jesus says, it should not have been these people. They knew God's word. They knew about justice. They knew about God's commandments. And yet they could care less because they cared more about themselves. Jesus is disgusted by them. He goes on to say that for a pretense, they make long prayers. The word pretense is to make a false claim about something that is real when it's really not. See, it was manipulative. They would sit out there and pretend to make these long prayers. They weren't praying. Yes, they were uttering words, but they weren't talking to God. But Jesus said people would see them like, man, look at him. He's been praying for 45 minutes. Jesus like, it's not impressive. It's for pretense. They want you to see what they're doing so that you can praise them. And you see, what Jesus wants us to know is, man, that doesn't impress God. When we try to live for the praises of people. But man, this really cuts to the heart though because I know in all of us, there is a people-pleasing tendency. And we oftentimes get into panic mode when we feel like people don't like us. And sometimes we begin to isolate ourselves then from people or we try harder for them to like us. We start overcompensating for our deficiencies to get some acknowledgement. And really, man, I just encourage you, search your heart. Just know that that's not what God wants for you to do. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to pretend and be a people pleaser. See, sometimes we're so afraid of critique. We're so afraid of criticism. We'll do anything to make everyone happy. And then on top of that, sometimes we place unfair expectations on one another. And so you're going to fail people. 
And yet, if you live by even unrealistic expectations, you will sink in despair. And this is, again, not to say, I don't need you then. Puts it all the more, say, God, I need you, God, more than anything. More than anything. You see, what Jesus says, he sees these religious leaders, and in the book of Matthew, he calls them whitewashed tombs. That's what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He says, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And what I hear there is a condemnation of religious leaders who impress that on people, but I also hear some freeing words for those of us who live enslaved to trying to be nice on the outside. Jesus is saying, you don't need to play that part. You don't need to pretend like you got it all together. You, you don't need to put up a smile when you've got only frowns in your heart. Yes, there's joy in the Lord, but man, life's hard sometimes, and it's okay. It's okay. Don't put on the robes in the marketplace just to make yourself feel better. Just say, God, I need you. And yet God will surround us with people. He'll surround you with people who will speak life into you, but you know that your life is found in God and not in the words of other people. So if the word doesn't come in a timely moment like you wanted it, you know that God's word is always there. And so this is what Jesus wants to hone in on here and expose pe- the, the, the religious leaders who put this pressure on the people to be something that they're not, to get a praise. You know, in the book of Acts, there's a family, a husband-wife team, Ananias and Sapphira, and it says that there's a story there, and it's so telling that, that they were so consumed with the praises of people. And again, I say this from a heart of one who battles with this, man. And I see Ananias and Sapphira, like, man, I, I, see, I see that. I understand what's going on in their heart. It's wicked, but man, I understand it. What they did was they sold all their properties that they owned, and they took all the money, so they said, and put, give it to the church, give it to the disciples, saying, hey, we sold everything we had. This is all the proceeds. And what they wanted was a... Man, look at these people. They gave everything. But the truth is, they kept some of it back. And the problem was not that what they gave, but that they lied about what they gave. And what Peter tells them is, he says, hey, look, when you owned everything, it was in your possession. You, You didn't need to do all this. You didn't need to sell it and give it all to the church and make it look so great like you did all this great thing. It was yours to begin with, but now you've made this thing evil because you gave to get applause. You told us you gave X amount of debt, or you made X amount of money, but that's not the truth. You lied. You lied. And man, in that heart is the desire for applause. And Jesus says that doesn't impress God much. It doesn't impress him. But what God does enjoy seeing is what follows in the next verses. You see, while they took advantage of widows, Jesus now points to a widow as the example. And it's beautiful how Jesus gives value where society says there is none. Verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two uh, small copper coins, which makes a penny. She added her two cents. 
And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything. Can you say everything? Everything Everything she has, all that she had to live on. What a juxtaposition. You you couldn't get more opposite. You have the flowing, robed, best-seated, articulate, knowledgeable, uh, praised group of people who love the best seats in the house, and you here have a woman who's described by two words and nothing else. You know nothing else about her other than the fact that she was poor and that she was a widow. And Jesus says, that's the one. That's how you ought to live. This is an interesting passage because Jesus says he sat down opposite the treasury in the temple. And see, the treasury was located in a place called the court of the women. And what that court uh, symbolized was the last place that women were allowed to enter before going into the temple. It was a divisive kind of uh, system there. And it kept women out of the temple. But there in this this court of the women, there were 13 trumpet-like ram-horn-shaped objects that became like banks, like piggy banks. And each of these 13 receptacles symbolized a different kind of offering that people gave. And there was a free will offering that was designated to the temple for various purposes. And what would happen is when someone came to give this free will offering, which they gave voluntarily, they would give this offering and a priest would inspect it, determine, determine the, that it's not counterfeit. The, the priest would then say, okay, what are you giving this to? Okay, then, then they make sure it's the proper amount of money. And then they instruct the giver to give the money in the right receptacle. All of this was done aloud. And so here is this woman who's got two pennies to her name. Literally, she can rub them together with her fingers. And she comes to give this offering. And no doubt, it was clear to everyone, two pennies? Seventh receptacle, or whichever one it was. And the next person, $200? That receptacle. And naturally, those who gave more were given praise. But again, Jesus is like, that's not what matters most to God. See, this is not so much a a lesson on frugality or finances as much as it is about devotion and discipleship. You see, Jesus, uh, God says in the Old Testament that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus saw through this woman in all her societal brokenness and says she's the one who has sacrificed and given the most. Everything about her has been described in terms of less, and Jesus says, no, she is more. She is more. See, what I love is when we live for the praises of people, we just struggle and struggle and struggle trying to earn their acceptance and their, ple- their pleasure and their praise. And here Jesus sees us and he says, no, I know your heart. It doesn't matter what others say. It matters what I say. You might be viewed as less in your society for whatever kind of reason, whatever kinds of experiences, or you might be uh, viewed as highly in your society. Neither of those matter to God as much as what he sees in your hearts. And he sees this woman. And he praises her in front of everybody. He says, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything 
she had, all that she had to live on. See, what I see here is a lesson. I'm saying instead of living for people, let's live for the Lord. And as we live for him, let's give all that we have, all that we are, all the time, all your talents, and all your treasures. It doesn't mean that you got to empty your bank account and be irresponsible like that. No, God teaches us to be responsible, to be wise with our finances. But he says, what's the heart check here? Are you willing and ready to give me all that you are, all that you have? Everything. Jesus says the two cents matter. See, when we view our lives under that auspice, we, we, we recognize that every breath we have is a gift from God. And no matter what we have in our hands, we can give it to God as a sacrificial offering to him. I've been so encouraged, man, just thinking the last few weeks as I've taught with people in my real community group, uh, interacted with folks on Facebook, how God is using people at the brook to invest their time to give God glory, to live for him, regardless of trying to please people and make a name for themselves. You know, I, I talked with two people in our real community group, actually three people, who talked about opportunities they had to share the good news of Jesus with somebody. They gave up their time. They got out of their comfort zone because in their hearts they said, I want God to be glorified in these people's lives. One guy in our group says he was at Starbucks and saw a guy drawing a picture and sat down next to the guy and asked him about the picture and started a conversation, told him about Jesus. There was another lady in our group who says that she was in the hospital and saw a, a guy with a, with a kidney failure. And she began to tell him about Jesus. Another guy said at work, people saw the evils in the world and said, hey, what's your opinion? Told him about the Lord. Talked to another woman this week who said she was in the hospital with a family member sharing the good news only to know that there are other people around her listening and they came, this, they're making eye contact like, hey, I heard what you said. I, we can go on and on and on. A lot of these things happen at coffee shops. So again, God wants you to drink coffee. This is, this is, this is the... There's been so much Starbucks stuff happening. But on, on the real, when we understand that our lives are not to be viewed to just to make much of ourselves, to try to get people's praises, to impress others, we say, God, I know every breath I got here is a gift from you. Every cent in my pocket belongs to you. All my experiences, God, I want to lay them at your feet. And God, I want your opinion, and your opinion matters most. And what's so beautiful about this good news, this gospel that we talk about, is that what you do is not how you earn God's love. You see, this Jesus who says that this widow is the one that we ought to follow her example, this same Jesus is the one who went to the cross, the perfect example, the perfect sacrifice, the one who brings forgiveness. And that's why his opinion matters most, because he laid down his life to rescue you from your sin. And so when we understand that he's forgiven us, when we put our faith in him and turn from our mess and turn to Jesus, we realize our lives can be lived for his glory with a great joy, no matter what takes place. Church family, don't don't get caught up in pleasing people. Don't, Don't be stuck in that cycle of just trying to do more to compensate for your own deficiencies. Just lay it down at God's feet. Say, God, I'm a messed up person. I'm a wreck. I know it. I, Eric Rivera, knows it. See, I know that when I try to put my life together and give an idea that everything is good, really what I'm doing is I'm withholding God from his glory 
Because when people see that I'm broken, I'm a mess, and I need grace, I can say, but God is the one who gives me grace and gets me up each morning and gets me out for him. He gets all the praise. And so when we feel that we got to put our lives together, you're, you're withholding God's glory from, from him. The opportunity for your life to shine his greatness and his mercy. So that's what we want to do today. Not get stuck in this cycle of trying to impress. But remember that we're ordinary people who serve a legendary God in this momentary life in extraordinary ways. That, that's what it's about. We're just ordinary people who serve a legendary God in this momentary life in extraordinary ways. And that's what he wants for us. And that's what this woman, with two words to her name and two pennies in her pocket, did. And today, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her. Let's give God all the glory with our lives, church. Don't be a slave to others. Let's celebrate his goodness. Well, I want to pray here, and we're going to close in song. Um, what, I, what I want you to see here is, is we have our prayer team come forward. If you're like me and you're saying, man, I'm just, I'm done with doing this kind of stuff. I don't want to, to live with the anxieties of what do people think about me? The anxieties of, man, is she mad at me? Is he mad at me? I'm saying, God, I, I want to live for you. Yes, I, w- I want to be right with my brothers and sisters, but God, I want to be right with you. If you're done living in that cycle, wearing the long robes, trying to get all the praise, would you let someone pray with you today? Would you let us just say, hey, we want to come around you, brother. We want to come around you, sister. Let's rise to our feet. And during this last song, if God's stirring your heart to be prayed for, to pray with someone, would you come forward or to the back where our prayer team is? We'd love to pray with you. We would love to do it. And so as we sing this also, knowing that he's come to our rescue, will we say, God, be lifted up in my life no matter what? Bow with me as we pray here. God, I want to thank you, Lord, for the example of a woman who goes unnamed, a woman who went through challenges in life, God. We don't know her story. We don't know how she became widowed. We don't know how old she was. God, we don't know her heartaches. We know that society says that she was less, but God, you said she was more. So Lord, some of us are in that boat right now. We've got struggles and heartaches. And we need to be reminded, God, of what our identity is through Jesus. And would you remind us of that? And perhaps, Lord, there are others of us who society is very impressed by us, our accomplishments, our education, our bank accounts. And Lord, I pray that we would never place our identity in those things. So whether we're like King David or like this poor widow, that we say, Lord, our lives are yours. Be lifted high in it, we pray. We love you, God. And we just thank you for your steadfast and unfailing love toward us. God, may this song be the declaration that we believe, that we sing it with conviction, giving you all the praise you deserve. In Jesus' name.
see.